0: Welcome to the 7-Figure Fundraising Podcast, the podcast where we discuss specific tactics and strategies to grow your nonprofit. I'm your host, Trevor Bragdon. Today's guest is Joey Coleman. Joey is an author and speaker and recognized expert in customer experience design. As an award-winning speaker, Joey specializes in creating unique, attention-grabbing customer experiences. He works with companies ranging from small startups, Fortune 500s, to midsize and every business in between. Joey is the author of the amazing book, Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into a Lifelong Loyalty in Just 100 Days, which dives into how you can create a great customer experience for your customers and donors. Welcome to
1: the show, Joey. Thanks, Trevor. Super excited to be here.
0: Well, I'm really glad to have you on the show and you've written a great book, Never Lose a Customer Again, uh, which really just goes through and talks about all these steps you can take as a nonprofit or as a for-profit business to keep your customers and your donors and just treat them in a really great way. But I'm curious how you got involved in this customer experience business because kind of a unique place in the market to be. Well,
1: it was I appreciate that Trevor. It was definitely a non-linear path to say the least. My background is crazy eclectic. I worked for the Central Intelligence Agency, I worked in the White House, I worked for the Secret Service, I was sold promotional products, I was a criminal defense lawyer for many years, I've been a business consultant, I've been a business school teacher, I've, you know, written books, I've given speeches, I ran an ad agency for 15 years. All of these things that at first blush might seem to have nothing to do with each other. But the reality is there's a common thread that connects all of them. And the common thread is to excel in any of those positions. You had to have a keen understanding of the human condition. Why do people do the things they do? And what can we do to influence or persuade or convince them to do the things we'd like them to do? And so that's really what tied my entire career together. And after running my ad agency for about 15 years and spending a lot of time driving people to the door of a business, I realized how many people were running out the back door of the business that we just got them to give a try to or to uh, patronize. And so long story short, I realized that I didn't want to be in the business of just churn and burn. I wanted to be in the business of actually keeping people and teaching people how to do that. And so it just kind of evolved organically from there. That's great. Well and it's one of these
0: interesting things like retention doesn't seem to a lot of business people, a lot of even nonprofit leaders, that sexy, right? Like it's a much easier to like go after and find that new donor, that new sale and you get the kind of the thrill of closing. But in a lot of ways to have a significant growth that comes from keeping your
1: existing customers and your existing donors 100% trevor you know and i i don't judge that people are more excited about the chase than the catch i mean this is at a biological level for human beings we are more excited in you know whether that's you know to use the analogy of the hunt or whether that's chasing you know a significant other we are biologically predisposed to want to do those things and the idea of fostering a long-term relationship making the investments into a sustainable you know commitment over time are not things that humans are really designed to do we've created that in our society of course and so i think that's part of the reason why most people get more excited about the marketing side of the business as opposed to the retention side and nonprofits are the exact same way right you know it's human beings basically Saying, Oh, well, it'll be more exciting if we can say the donor roles grew this quarter than even necessarily saying we were able to get people who've donated before to donate again, even though that's the much, in many ways, easier job and the job that produces the better results long
0: term. Right. Absolutely. And what you see with nonprofits is, you know, on industry, average retention rate for donors is about 51%. So over the course of five or six years, you could lose almost your entire donor list if you're not adding new donors, but it's doing different things to make and create a good customer experience for your donors. You can help increase those retention numbers. I'd love for you to talk about how should a nonprofit leader think about the customer experience and the just you know, that whole experience from when somebody sends in a gift to their organization. Are there like phases or what do you recommend for them to think about this?
1: Absolutely. Well, if I may, first of all, a little bit of context. I am a big fan of so much of the great work that is being done by nonprofits around the world. I've had the pleasure of serving on many nonprofit boards over the years as either a board member or rising to the level of board president. I've served on organizations in the education space, in the environmental space, in the arts space, in the uh, music and theater space, I've got kind of a a fairly broad exposure to the world of nonprofits. And I think one of the things that often happens when a business book comes in front of a nonprofit audience, and I say this respectfully, having worked with a lot of nonprofits, is the nonprofits look and say, well, that's fine, and that applies to business. But you don't understand, Joey, we have donors. So anytime in our conversation, Trevor, that I slip and I say customer, just go ahead, listeners, and replace it with the word donor. And here's why it's okay to do that. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about is humans. Everybody gets into these conversations of, oh, we're B to B or we're B to C. No, we're H to H. It's human to human. That's all of our interactions. That's all of our sales. And what I have learned over you know 30 years of doing this type of work in varying capacities is there are some real common threads when it comes to humans. And donors are no exception, even though I know some of the folks listening might think that donors behave in non-human ways on a regular basis. Uh, The fact of the matter is when somebody makes an initial donation to your nonprofit, a couple of things are happening in terms of their biochemistry and their mental and emotional desires, right? So they're feeling a dopamine release. They're excited that they've made a donation. They're feeling good about that. We write them the thank you note. They get the thank you note back. Aha, we've closed the loop. And it's like, well, those are the ante up chips to sit down at the table and play the game. You know, it used to be in the nonprofit world that that was enough. That's not enough anymore. And by the way, if you're not religiously writing thank you notes and personalized thank you notes to all of your donors, hello, low-hanging fruit, huge opportunity right then and right there. But we want to go one step further. And the reason I feel comfortable interchanging the phrase donor and customer is because when we think of the phrase donor, lots of times we think of, well, they make a donation and then they walk away. And then we don't deal with them again until we need another donation. And what that does is that's the transactional behavior that appalls us. In a customer setting, when we're a customer and we do business with someone and it seems like they're constantly looking for the next sale, they're constantly pushing us to buy the thing, they're trying to get us to support their next product launch, whatever it may be, we're bothered. We feel a lack of connection. We feel a lack of personalization. And yet that's the same playbook that many nonprofits use. Oh, well, we asked you for the annual campaign last year, so certainly you'll donate to the annual campaign this year it's like, I haven't heard from you in the whole annual, in the whole year between last (laughs) year's donation and this year's donation. You put me on your ridiculous newsletter that nobody reads anyway, and you presume that that was enough. It's not. And most nonprofits seem to be chasing this mythical donor who's just magically going to appear and give them $100,000 or a million dollars or whatever magic number they're targeting. I like the donors who start by giving you ten dollars. and then next time around they give you 20 and next time 50 and next time 100, and next time 300, and next time 500, and then a thousand. And now we're moving them up. And I get that that takes longer, but it allows the relationship to be built over time. And I think at the end of the day, I have yet to meet a nonprofit that is dealing with or dedicated to an issue that is acute. Most nonprofits are dealing with issues that are chronic. They're dealing with issues that have been around for a long time. And their solution for that is to go find spot treatment donations of quick, give me some cash so I can do this program or do this initiative instead of saying, well, if it took decades or centuries to get into this problem, maybe we should think about having donor relationships that last decades to help get us out of this problem. Right. And that's such a great point. And it's almost
0: more thinking of your donors like partners in their journey, not anything else, because if you can't grow them and be with them over a long period of time, you're going to spend all your time acquiring new donors. And reading the book, one of the big aha moments for me was how you framed that initial point, like when you send uh, make a purchase or when you send in the gift and you talk about that's the start of the relationship for the donor. For us, you know, as a fundraiser, it's like the you think it's great, it's they've secured the gift and like for you, you're done, you're moving on to the next one, but it's the start of the relationship for them. And that just like really opened my eyes. I hadn't thought about it in that framing, but do you wanna just talk about
1: that a little bit? Absolutely, and I appreciate that observation and compliment, Trevor, because I think at the end of the day, this is something that most businesses and most nonprofits suffer from, which is the disconnect between our emotional high when we think we've crossed the finish line and the emotional state of our donor when they feel that the relationship has just started. As you point out, you know, we get the donation and we're like, woohoo, we're done. Let's move on to the next one. And it's like, no, this relationship just began. We need to spend time fostering it. We need to show return on investment. I mean, here's the interesting thing. in the In the business world, everybody talks about ROI. I don't think enough nonprofits talk about ROI. At the very least, they bake it down into an annual report where they say, hey, for every dollar we donated, uh, 92 cents went towards programs and only eight cents went towards administration or whatever the numbers are for your nonprofit. That's not enough. Like, and, and it's not enough not because of the numbers and the percentages. It's not enough because that's not a compelling story. You know, When, when I go to a store and I buy a new TV... They don't say, well, 98% went to the components that are in your TV and only 2% went to our profit. No, they don't tell you that. They paint a picture of what life is going to be like now that you have this new TV. How your life is going to be better. Your life is going to be more fulfilled. Your life is going to be more connected. Those are the opportunities that I think a lot of nonprofits miss. Or they spend so much time focused on their other customers. See, I believe nonprofits have two customers. They have the customers that are quote unquote, the donors, and then they have the customers being the communities or the people that they serve. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is lots of nonprofits over-index their focus on the communities they serve and just presume that by serving those communities, donors will line up to support them. I hate to break it to you, friends. If that's all it took, the donors wouldn't need the nonprofits. They would just give the money straight to the communities. They wouldn't need to go through you. I I, I need to break it, but that's the reality of the situation. They are trusting you to be good stewards of their donations. And the way you prove that is not with an annual report. It's not with a standard form thank you note that everyone gets. So five years later, I'm still getting the exact same templated thank you note that I got in year one for my $10 donation that I'm getting in year five for my $1,000 donation. And it's like, folks, this isn't rocket science here. Right. This is just about creating personal and emotional connection with the humans that you're asking to part with their hard earned dollars to support your cause, to support your initiative, to support your passion. You know, so a lot of this stuff boils down to kind of a basic understanding of human psychology. And I don't say that to be, you know, condescending or judgmental, Mm -hmm. I say it to be comforting. So you don't have to overcomplicate this. Really just think about what do you like as a customer. Swap in the word donor and do the same thing for the people that give money to your nonprofit. If you only did that, you will be wildly successful. Right. And you're not talking about strategies
0: that are going to cost a ton of money. Not at all. It's more about having systems in place to make
1: sure it's executed in a consistent way. 100%. I mean, first and foremost, Trevor, I'm talking about a mindset and a philosophy, I'm talking about getting out of this transactional, what is our annual budget? What are our annual targets for donations? Eliminating that thinking from your mind and saying, in every interaction that I have with a donor, what am I doing to create an experience that is so remarkable that they can't help but tell everyone they know about what happened? not the cause that we're supporting. That stuff takes care of itself, friends. I mean, folks that are listeners to your podcast, you already have great nonprofits. You have great causes. Mm -hmm. You don't need to convince me that your cause is important. You need to convince me that your nonprofit is important. I'm going to say that again. You don't need to convince me that your cause is important. You need to convince me that your nonprofit is important. Because the reality is there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of nonprofits in the world. I don't know what the current number is, but I know it's huge. And it seems like every time you turn around, somebody's raising money for another nonprofit that sounds exactly like the other nonprofit that people are raising money for. But I'm supposed to donate to yours because of the personal ask. And that works to a degree. But once we get out of year one, You better give me personal reason for making a donation as a nonprofit, not relying on the friend who brought me into the fold. Like the relationship has to transcend. I liken this stuff to dating, right? When my wife and I first started dating, I had a vision of what I was looking for in a partner. And one of the things I wanted, because Trevor and I were talking earlier, I'm one of seven kids, right? One of the things I was looking for is someone who would establish their own relationships with my, spouse, with my uh, siblings and their spouses and my parents. I didn't want the relationship to only have to come through me because I knew if it only came through me, guess what? That's not sustainable. That's not long term. So as nonprofits, I want us to think the same way. You know, it's not enough to say, oh, well, as long as we get Trevor to ask his five friends to make donations, we're set. Then we just need to take care of Trevor. No, you need to take care of the people who've made the donations as well. And it doesn't require, to your point, a huge investment of time, a huge investment of effort. It does require some thoughtful thinking and some connective empathy to what it's like to be a donor in 2020 and beyond for people listening in the future. What's it like to be a donor when I have a million people asking for my time, my attention, and my money? Where am I going to make my investments and why am I going to make them with you? And that really is the core essence of this conversation. Again, not because your cause is great, but because you're going to be a great steward of my donation and squeeze every penny out of that donation to create the biggest possible impact.
0: Right. And if you go back to that thinking of you haven't heard from them in the year since you made the last donation, of course, you're not going to maybe give again, or you're going to have to really be carried and really care about the cause. So what are some things nonprofit leaders can do to help bridge that gap? Like, where would you recommend and how should they be thinking about, you know, especially that initial phase, that first hundred
1: days you talk about in the book, how should they be thinking about that with their Donors. Yeah. So one of the things I'm a big believer in is this concept of the first 100 days. And briefly, the research shows that in a business setting, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with an organization before the 100 day anniversary. Now, some of you are hearing that statistic for the first time and are appalled. But if you actually sit with it for a while, you'll realize that there are plenty of businesses that you did business with once and never went again. Restaurants are notorious for this. How many restaurants have you been to in your life? Pre COVID, of course, where right. you went once and that was it and you're never going back. And it's not because you've had a bad experience, it's just because way leads on to way. How many non-pro- if you were to ask me how many nonprofits I've donated to over the years, oh my gosh, it's thousands. Right. How many do I regularly donate to? About four. Now, what has been the difference between those two? Well, it's the folks who decided that they were interested in a long-term relationship and the ones who established such a strong foundation in those first 100 days, such a strong personal and emotional connection that the relationship started to build some momentum of its own. Here's the crazy thing. Of all the nonprofits I've worked with, as a general rule, I know most nonprofits wish they had more money for operating expenses, and they wish they had more time in which to do their work. It's very rare that I come across a nonprofit that's like, Joey, we're good. We don't need any more money. We got plenty (laughs) of time. We got a lot of people sitting around here fiddling their thumbs. They don't know what to do. No, most people feel overworked, underappreciated, and underfunded. So what are we going to do to make those investments over time? First is the mindset and the philosophy. And second would be looking at the current donor journey. Now, I know that the concept of the donor journey is not new to your listeners. They've heard about this before. But have you actually sat down and mapped out the journey from the first time somebody hears about your nonprofit to the point where they are telling all of their friends and recruiting all of their friends to be donors and supporters? There's a big gap between those two places. And lots of times, and again, not being critical, many nonprofits don't have a plan to get someone to that stage. They rather just keep their antenna up and wait and see and, oh, well, they seem to be promoting us. Let's double down into that relationship. Instead of cultivating a relationship and turning everyone into an advocate, they wait for the advocates to kind of come out of the woodwork on their own. I'm a believer that everybody who comes through your door has the potential to be a lifelong loyal advocate. But what are you going to do to make sure they get there? What are you going to do to hold their hand as they navigate through the donor journey? And it's not enough. And I get, again, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of money. It's not enough to put it on autopilot which is what a lot of nonprofits do. Joey, we have mapped out the journey. Here's how it works. You make a donation. I write you a thank you note. We add you to the email newsletter. We invite you to the gala. We will invite you to donate to all of our little campaigns. And we'll send our annual report once a year that tells you, look how much we've done and how much we've helped. And that's it. That worked kind of 50 years ago. It doesn't work today. When Netflix Seems to care more about what I'm doing on Friday night than the people that have asked me for thousands of dollars of donations. There's a little bit of a disconnect into how connected we are in our relationship.
0: Right. No, and that's such a great point. And like really being conscious too of when your donors want to give, you know, so you're not asking them throughout the year. Like I think I'm sure you've had this experience where you give a significant donation and then two weeks later you get a letter or an email asking for another donation you're like well I just gave you
1: a check and what's up <laughs> you know or asking me to come to another thing I was working with an organization last week and they were saying you know what we're going to do we're going to take our best clients and customers and we're going to host a charity fundraiser and I was like, what charity? And they're like, well, our charity. And I'm like, huh, so let me get this right. You're going to show appreciation for your top customers by inviting them to come to your thing and make donations to your cause? How about you show appreciation by going to their event, going to the don- the, the nonprofit that they support and making a donation? That's how you move the dial, right? And so I agree with you. I think lots of times the relationship building ends up feeling like an afterthought for most nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And I think they come by this honestly, because I get that most people that are working in nonprofits are more excited about the cause and that customer than they are about the donors and that customer, right? They're more excited, oh, we got to serve the people or serve the program or serve the cause or the initiative. And Then when they get told, oh, you need to raise some money for this as well, it's like, ah, necessary evil. Fine. Go find some rich people. Get some money. Like, literally, I've been in conversations with nonprofits that are like, if we could just find some rich people. And I'm like, great, because most people that I know that are wealthy love being called rich people. And they love being thought of that way. Like, oh, if I can just get some money out of you, then we'll be good. It's like, no. Build the relationship. And when I say build the relationship, and you can tell I've got some strong opinions on this. Sorry, Trevor. Um, No, I love it. (laughs) When I say build the relationship, I mean what's important to the donor. Go beyond the context of, well, is the donor, well, clearly, Joey, the cause that we have for our nonprofit is important to the donor. I was like, I get it. But you know what? There's a lot of other things that are important to your donor as well their friends, their family, their work, their significant other. You know, fill in the blank, their hobbies, their favorite sports team. Like they're probably more passionate about their favorite sports team than they are about your nonprofit. And guess what? The sports team gives them more. Right. That's a great point. Sorry. I hate to break it to you, but the sports team asks for less and gives them more. That's who you're being compared to. See, we live in an era where you are no longer compared to the other people in your category or the other people in your industry. You know, it used to be if you were a hardware store, you were compared to the other hardware stores in your town. It used to be if you had a restaurant, you were compared to the other restaurants that were in driving distance of your restaurant. Now you're compared to Top Chef. Mm-hmm. Now you're compared to what I see. You know, I watch a show on Netflix or on Amazon, and I'm like, "Oh, Chef's Table, Top Chef." And then I go to my local restaurant. And I'm like, "Where's the panache? Where's the <laughs> where's the zhuzhing of things? What's going on? This is just uh, really this this is, feels terrible. Gordon Ramsay would be freaking out at this meal. That's what you're being compared to. So nonprofits need to stop benchmarking against other nonprofits. You really want to see if you're good with your donor relations. Benchmark against the top companies and their investor relations. Benchmark against the top companies and their commitment to customer service or customer excellence. How easy is it to get money and get a refund from Amazon? How easy is it to get Amazon to deliver exactly what you want to your doorstep within 24 to 48 hours for free if you're a Prime member, which, by the way, is not free, but doesn't matter. It feels free after you've paid for it compared to how long I have to wait to get a thank you note from you to include in my taxes or how long I have to wait before I hear something from you that doesn't feel like it is the standard communication that you gave to everyone else on the donor roll. Right. That's who your competition is. So if you really want to change your perspective, start saying, how can we be more like Tesla? How can we be more like Disney? How can we be more like Netflix or Amazon or Google or Apple? And I get that part of that is just like, oh, Joey, but you don't understand. They're bigger. They have more money. You know what they have, folks? They have a commitment that is different than yours. Mm -hmm. They have a commitment to creating remarkable experiences. I'd say most nonprofits, sorry, don't. Right. They don't have a commitment to creating remarkable donor experiences. They may have a commitment to creating remarkable experiences for the, you know, audiences that they serve, mm-hmm. but not the audiences that help them serve the audiences that
0: they serve, if that makes sense. Right. No, and that's such a great point. Earlier this year, we had uh, one of the founders of the Ritz Carlton on the podcast, and he was talking about their system. And, you know, they have their, uh, I think it's 34 or 24 rules that they have. And he was saying how everyone in the industry thought they were spending tons of money on customer service. And he said that actually wasn't the case. We were making lots of money, but it was because. This stuff and having systems in place to treat your customers or your donors really well actually doesn't cost that much. It's taking the perspective of the donor and the customer and then applying it in a consistent way. And so I think you're absolutely right talking about look to your competitors, but the competitors or the environment being much broader than we tend to think of it. And if you think about from the donor's perspective, like if you have a wealthy individual and you're going to meet with them to ask them for money, they're getting pitched all the time. They're getting pitched from people asking for investments, they're getting pitched for business partnerships, they're getting pitched on all from vendors and all sorts of different people. So if you're not at that same level of performance, like
1: you're gonna stand out, it's going to look different. Trevor, 100%. And I'll take it one step further. Not only are those high net worth individuals being pitched all day, every day. And I don't think, again, I don't say this from a place of judgment. I don't think the typical person working in a nonprofit understands just how much the high net worth people in their community get asked to donate. Like it's literally, I'm a recovering attorney. When I was practicing law in the small town in Northwestern Iowa that I grew up in, we would literally have one to two asks per week. Why? Because it was a law firm. People are like, oh, they must have a lot of money. Let's add. It was a minimum of one to two per week. Well, you extrapolate that out across all the partners, all the associates, all the people who are getting one to two asks each. Plus, the firm is getting one to two asks per week. We were probably getting 15 to 20 asks per week across the firm every week, morning, noon, and night. And so it's real easy for it to feel like noise. Now, let's take a look at the high net worth person's life. Where are they staying when they go on vacation? The Ritz-Carlton. How are they getting there? Flying first class or flying private? Where are they going to have dinner? The Michelin-starred restaurant. That's who you're being compared to. So you're right. Not only are you getting a comparison based on the other people that are asking for money, but their world, their frame of view in terms of what excellence is, what a remarkable experience is, is very different than the typical person who works at a nonprofit. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. And I'm not trying to you know, be classist or elitist when I say that. I'm a big believer that you have to know your audience. Mm-hmm. You have to know everything about your audience. Some people call them customers. Some call them clients. Some call them donors. I call them audience. Why? Well, it's not just because I'm a professional speaker and I love being on podcast, right? I call them audience because as somebody who spent time in the theater growing up, when we look at an audience... We are called to perform. We are called to create a show, to create a spectacle, to create a magical moment that leaves people so moved that they will rise from their chair in applause spontaneously. That's how we should approach our donors. And if we think of them as our audience and we're thinking, what can we do to have them say, oh my gosh, this nonprofit's amazing. Not only are they doing great work, but they make me feel good about being involved. How else can I help? Who else can I refer? How can I give more money? How can I give more time? How can I give of my connections, et cetera? Again, this stuff is about a commitment to going deeper, a commitment to avoiding the transactional and instead focusing on the transformational, the, the connective interaction that leads a human, leaves a human saying, I matter and people think I matter and they think I have value and they treat me as such.
0: Right. Wow. That's such a great point. So, what are some specific steps? Like, if we're bought in, you've listened to you, you know, I'm bought in, um, but you know, you've heard this and you want to change. You realize maybe I'm not doing the best job I could with my donors. And what are some things specifically I could start doing today or start doing, you know, in the next couple of weeks to really start shifting that relationship so it's more of a partnership and you move away from
1: any sort of transactional signaling you're unintentionally giving? Trevor, I love it. Let's get super tactical here. Okay. So first and foremost, what we need to do is have a clear understanding of the reality we're in. So we need to do that donor journey mapping. We need to do an honest assessment of where we are. Are we as good as we think we are in treating our donors? Because my gut instinct is we actually think we're better than we are. And don't just do the self-examination, although that is certainly important that we look in the mirror and see what we see, but have the honest conversations. Have the honest conversations with our biggest donors, as well as the people that don't donate. Well, why didn't you donate? What could we have done differently to make you donate or convince you to donate or persuade you to donate. So let's first and foremost get a an honest read on the reality. The next thing I like to do is look to the various tools we use to communicate with our donors. The majority of nonprofits over-index on using email to communicate with their donors. Now, everyone listening, I'd like you to do a little audience participation right here raise your hand and raise it above your head. I know it's weird. You might be in the car. You might be working out. You might be doing the dishes, whatever it may be. Raise your hand above your head if you wish you were getting more emails. Yeah. By the way, that sound you just heard was the silence of no one raising their hand. And yet this is the number one tool that most nonprofits use to communicate with their donors. And they think, oh, but Joey, it's cheap and it's free and it goes right to them. They're not reading your emails. I'm sorry. They're just not. So let's dispel the myth that, oh, we're getting through, we're cutting through the note. We spent so much time crafting this opening sentence in this subject line. They're not reading the emails. They're just not. And that's not because you're bad. It's because there are 10,000 other emails that came in today that I'm required to read that are related to my work or related to my kid's school or related to that They're not related to this nonprofit that I made a donation to seven months ago that's back asking for more. So what are the tools we're using? I believe there are six key tools you can use to communicate with your customers. In-person interactions, and we'll we'll put a little asterisk next to that one because right. we're recording in the COVID era, and I'll come back to that one, right? So we've got in-person interactions, we've got emails, we've got phone calls, we've got snail mail, physical mail, we've got videos, and we've got gifts and presents, Let's go through each one and kind of spitball some ideas of what we could do. And we'll do in-person last, right? So email. You can still use email, but send the kind of emails that get open and read. What's a great way to do that? Get a dry erase board, write, hey, Trevor, on the dry erase board go to bombbomb.com that's b o m b b o m b bombbomb.com they have a tool that is a plugin for gmail that allows you to shoot a little video with a gif at the front of it and you hold the dry erase board and shake it back and forth in the gif and then when the person gets that email and it says hey trevor and they see the picture of you and say guess what they're going to play that video why because you use their name and they've never seen anything like this before. It looks like a proof of life video from an action movie. They're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they're going to be connected, right? So send the kind of emails that get open and acted upon. Ask for interaction in your emails. Instead of sending a 17 paragraph newsletter, send a four sends newsletter that, that the bottom says, hey, by the way, P.S., are you a sweets or savory person? Wait, What? What does that have to do with anything? Well, we're collecting information on our donors. We want to know, are you a sweets or a savory person? You're like, well, I'll tell you I'm a sweets person, but I still don't understand. Well, now let's fast forward to that presence idea. Okay. Most nonprofits think that because they're on the receiving end of the gifts, that they shouldn't have to give any gifts back. Or if they do give gifts, let's be candid, they give gifts that no donor actually wants. I don't want a bumper sticker with the name of your nonprofit on it with the URL. I just don't. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) And that's not me being critical of the promotional product and industry. But how many Rolls Royce and Lexus and Mercedes and Land Rovers do you see cruising around with bumper stickers on? Oh, yeah, that would be zero. So if you're targeting, for example, a high net worth donor, don't give them something and ask them to slap it on their car. Now, what we can do is give them actual presence. You know what a present would be? Something that is interesting to me, not interesting to you. What I mean by that is a gift should be something that allows the recipient to say, you were listening when I was talking and I didn't know you were paying as close attention as you were. If I were to ask you to make a list of the best gifts you ever received in your life, and you had to take off things like, oh, meeting my spouse or the birth of my children, that kind of thing. Just think about material gifts. Statistically, the majority of gifts on that list, cost less than $50. Mm -hmm. The reason they were special is because you didn't see it coming. The person knew so much about you, or they did this thoughtful little gesture, and you were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So those are the type of gifts and presents we want to think about. My buddy, John Ruland wrote a fantastic book called Giftology, which I highly recommend on this topic, right? right? So go read John's book. He's got great examples on how to do gifting.
0: The other thing to think about, especially with the donor, is if that gift You think about where it's going to live. Like if you give a gift, like the bumper sticker, it's not going to go on the car, like you said, but if it's something that lives on their desk, it's something that lives on a bookshelf, you know, thinking about the context where it's going to live in their environment helps remind them about your nonprofit. If it's something really cool, that's going to be on their desk. They're going to think about you. And also if someone else says, it's a cool thing. They're going to be like, oh yeah, this nonprofit I support. Gave me this gift, and then they're talking about you to another friend, another person. So, really, that just so you said, that intentionality about it, and really just thinking doesn't have to be a lot of money, but where is it going to live? How is it going to connect with them? Trevor,
1: 100%. Take it to another level. Don't give gifts, give artifacts. What I mean by that is give something that somebody wants to keep that's an heirloom, that's an artifact, that it's a piece that they're like, oh my gosh. And here's the, the pro tip if it rises to that level, you don't need to put your name on it. Stop and think of the greatest gifts you've ever received. Does it have the name of the person who gave you the gift on it? No. It doesn't, because guess what? You remember who gave it to you. It was so awesome. If you're giving me yet another t-shirt or yet another, you know, hat or squeeze ball or pen with your logo on it, what it tells me is you didn't you spent more money thinking about how to put your name on it than you did on the gift. Right? Stop doing that. Give me something thoughtful. Give me something special. Which brings us to mail. Okay. Most nonprofits use mail for two purposes to send the annual fund donation letter with a self-addressed self envelope because that means people will send it back and you know they will get a higher response. Stop it. Stop it. They also say, well, but Joey, we send thank you notes. I'm saying, great. When? Well, anytime they make a donation oh, so if they do X, you do Y. If they make a donation, you send a thank you note. Well, yeah. I'm like, great. Do you ever send any other type of handwritten notes? Well, no, we don't have the time. Oh, right. So you don't have the time to build any type of relationship with your donor other than one that is reactionarily transactional. Oh, you gave me money. I'll give you a thank you note. And I mentioned it earlier, and I'm sorry, I'm on a little bit of a rant on this topic when it comes to thank you notes. But if I get another thank you note from a nonprofit that is the template of the thank you note they sent me last time I made a donation. I mean, friends, even if you just redo your template once a year, once a year, call call it a new year's resolution. We're going to write a new thank you template for 2021. And then you use that one for all of 2020, 2021. And then when we come to 2022, you write a new thank you template. That alone will change the experience that your donors have. Now, you may be thinking, Joey, that's ridiculous, but guess what? People keep thank you notes.
0: Right. hundred percent.
1: So here's the crazy thing. Going back to artifacts, everybody listening at home, working out in your car, washing the dishes, another audience participation moment. I want you to raise your hand, raise it above your head, even though I can't see it. Have you received a thank you note, a handwritten thank you note in the last year? Now, what's interesting, Trevor, is a lot of people just raised their hand. Okay. Now, friends, keep your hand up. If you still have that thank you note. Now, what's fascinating is north of 90% of people kept their hand up. Why? You know who sent you the thank you note. You already read it. You kept it. Is it because you felt guilty about throwing away something that somebody had taken the time to write a thank you note? Maybe. But I would posit the reason you kept it is because it's tangible proof that you matter. It's an artifact that says another human being valued you and something you did. And we live in an era where we don't have enough gratitude in our lives, not only enough gratitude given to others, but enough gratitude received from others. We don't say thank you enough. So when somebody makes the time to write a handwritten thank you note and send it to us, that stands out. Now, what's the difference between the handwritten and the templated? Well, I know the handwritten took you more time, which must mean I matter more because in an era where everything's moving quickly. The more time you're willing to invest in me, it shows the more you value me. So write the handwritten thank you note and send it in the mail. Two more examples, video, and then we'll close on in person. So video, we are at a fascinating time in human history. Most people, especially the folks that you're asking to make donations, are walking around with a phone in their pocket or their purse that has a video camera on it that is more powerful than the video cameras used by network news just 30 years ago. You also probably have a phone in your pocket or purse that has that same video camera. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your phone and shoot a selfie video. Now, some of you just got really nervous. You're like, oh, but I didn't do my hair today. I don't like how I look. I'm not sure what to say. It doesn't matter. I promise you, it doesn't actually matter. Pull out the video or pull out the phone and shoot a selfie video. And here's your script. And if you don't follow the script exactly, that's totally fine. But for those of you that are freaking out and want a script, I'm going to give it to you. You're going to say the name of the donor. So for this role play, we're going to pretend that Trevor was the donor. Hey, Trevor, Joey Coleman here from We Care About Pets More Than You Do. And I just wanted you to know we so appreciate your support. You know, I was going through a list today of all of our donors and I saw your name and I remembered that we got a chance to hang out at that dog walking fundraiser we did a few months ago. And I thought, I wonder what Trevor's up to. But more importantly, I thought, man, I wonder if he knows how much we appreciate his support. Thank you so much for being part of the team. Thank you so much for lending of your time, your talent, and your treasure to our cause. We appreciate it more than you know. Ruff, ruff end of video. That's it. Just a thank you. Not an ask, not make more donations, not introduce me to your five friends, not we've got a gala coming up that we want you to contribute to. Just a genuine, sincere thank you. You shoot that video and you text it to them. Now, some of you also just skipped a heartbeat because you're like, I don't really have the cell phone number of my donors. Pro tip, we might want to start collecting those, right? But we don't want to use them for spamming them because you already are starting to get plenty of text messages that you don't want. We only want to use that for targeted messages that are usually video-based that are a thank you. Because here's what we know about the difference between emails and videos in 2020. The average email gets opened and read 48 to 72 hours after receipt. The average video that is texted to someone gets watched in its entirety within 90 seconds of receipt. I don't know about you, Trevor. I like the idea of cutting through the noise on the tool that they're using. So here's the cool thing. Right now, the majority of videos you receive are from your close friends and your family members. So this channel is reserved for the people who are in our innermost circle. Don't we want our donors to feel like they're in our innermost circle? So we want to respect it. Don't start willy-nilly sending videos and text messages to people, right? But a targeted message once or twice a year, huge, huge return on value. Last one, in-person. So a lot of nonprofits right now are freaking out because you can't have your annual in-person gathering. And I saved this one for last because I know we're getting towards the end of the year and you normally have your big gala and that's where you raise all your money and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? You got to get creative you got to look at virtual solutions. So there's a nonprofit I support that is a school in Colorado, and they have an annual charity auction. And for the last two years, my wife and I had gone to the annual charity auction. Well, because of COVID, they can't have their annual auction. So guess what they're doing? They're doing a virtual auction. Surprise, surprise, everybody listening goes, they added virtual to what they were already doing. No, 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 friends, they took it one step further. First of all, the bidding for the auction Started yesterday and it runs all week. So instead of having the bidding just occur in the one hour when everybody's in the room, the bidding is lasting all week. And the people running the auction are already doing some creative things as far as like messaging people that they think would be interested in this stuff. And while I'm making this up to illustrate the point, like, they're auctioning art and I love art. So sending a message to Joey saying, Hey, Joey, Philip has the leading bid right now on this piece that I think you'd love. Would you like to beat him and get this one? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'd like to beat him and, and have some fun in the process. right? Lots of times in those auction settings, the reason people are donating so much is because they want to beat the other people in the room. Acknowledge the humanity. Embrace the humanity. Just deal with it. The other thing they do is they're having their dinner and the live auction at the end of the week. And you're like, well, how are they doing their dinner? COVID. Oh, they went to a bunch of restaurants. They prepared a top menu from four different restaurants. And when you buy your ticket, you tell them which thing you want. And it gets delivered to your house an hour before the auction starts. And it's food that's ready just to be warmed. So you get dinner with your ticket. Now I'm having an experience. Well, guess what? As of yesterday, all the meals had sold out. But you know what hadn't sold out? The signature cocktail drink that they had created, which comes in a little box with the mixers and all this stuff, so you can have their signature cocktail in your home while you're watching the auction on Zoom. So the moral of the story here is we are only limited by the bounds of our own creativity. Do not let COVID-19 be the excuse that you use to justify not being creative. This is the best opportunity in our modern lives to try something different. Because what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work and you get to blame it on COVID. Now is the time to do it, (laughs) Go to your board of directors and say, we got a crazy idea. Here's what we want to do. Because guess what? If they're like, no, we don't like that idea. Say, great. Then what idea do you like? Uh, Never mind. Go ahead and run with your idea. Like this is the time. So try new things. Explore new things. Use these six tools to create connection with your donors, and I promise you, you will go into next year having very different types of conversations because you've changed the mode of communication. You've changed the sincerity of the conversation. You've started to focus more on creating personal and emotional connection. And you've moved beyond these transactional interactions and started focusing on more emotional interactions. Like what are the things we can do that are unexpected? What are the things we can do that are off cycle or off sequence that make someone say, wait a second, I wasn't expecting this. By default, That means it's remarkable. And the more remarkable it is, the more it is worthy of making remarks about and telling other people about, which at the end of the day, I think should be every nonprofit's goal. You want your donors to be talking about you when you don't ask them to talk about you. You ask them to talk about you during the annual fundraise. You ask them to talk to you about, about you when it comes time to inviting people to your event. I want them talking about you when you're not asking because that will change the conversation. Right, and change the relationship forever. 100%. Well,
0: this has been great, Joey, and I think you've given everyone a ton to think about One of the things we'd like to ask every guest on the show is we like this uh, show to be about taking action as fundraisers and nonprofit leaders. What's one thing you would recommend? And I'd say beyond buy your book, which I think everyone should do. And we'll put a link in the description. It's a tremendous book. You will not regret it. It's worth reading cover to cover. There's so many great ideas. But what's one thing you'd recommend beyond buying your book? for them to do.
1: You know, Trevor, what I would love to see people do. And by the way, for those of you that are motivated by challenges, I'm going to throw down a gauntlet here. I've enjoyed this conversation with Trevor. He asked great questions. He's got me amped up and ramped up about nonprofits and the things we can do to make nonprofits better. I'm going to throw something down that I'm going to tell you less than 20% of you are going to do. But the 20% of you that do this, it's going to change your entire donor experience. I want you to shoot the selfie video. Now, I know you don't want to. I know you're freaking out right now. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that was the one he went with. Like, I thought he was going to give us something new or something. No, I'm going to go back to the thing I already talked about and gave you a specific breakdown of what to say. So by the way, you can rewind the podcast episode and listen to it again if you really need it. But this window where videos via text message only come from our loved ones. Our closest friends, our children, our parents, you know, doing FaceTime videos, you know, it's going to go away. Now, whether it's going to be gone next year or five years from now, I'm not sure, but it's going to go away. It's going to become oversaturated by all the marketers who are going to just get control of this thing and wreck it for all of us. That's the way marketers work, friends. I'm a recovering marketer. (laughs) I understand how this works. They're going to wreck it for all of us. While we're in this zone, send some videos. Have some fun with it. It doesn't just have to be you. It can be you know if you're you know doing proper social distancing but you've you know your other people that work in your nonprofit are in your bubble, shoot a video with a bunch of you walking around the office or around their location or you know whatever your nonprofit works on you know again, I used the pets example earlier. let's say you rescue dogs and that's your thing. Shoot a video of a dog with you doing a voiceover narration. Be creative with this stuff. Have fun with it. There is no wrong answer other than not doing it. That's the only thing that's the wrong choice. The right choice is not being limited in your creativity. The right choice is looking to create personal and emotional connection. The right choice is being the first to communicate in a certain modality, i.e. the selfie video with that potential donor or that long-term, uh, long-standing term long donor. That will move the dial. That will change the conversation. And for the 20% of you that are going to do it, I'm so proud of you. And for the 80%, oh, there's hope for you yet. Hang in there. It's okay. No judgment.
0: (laughs) That's a great joy. And where can people find out more about you and how they can connect with you as well.
1: Yeah, so the best place to find me is on my website, which is joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know, or a baby kangaroo, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. You'll find videos there. You'll find links to uh, my podcast, which I do with my co-host Dan Gingas called Experience This, which is bite-sized morsels of customer experience delight. And we actually talk about, now we've had a, a number of non-profit episodes. And we talk about nonprofits pretty regularly. So definitely there. And then the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. And you can find it wherever you like to find books. We have an ebook. We have a hardcover book. We have an audio book, which I read to you. So if you'd like to have me narrate the book to you, I'd be happy to. And I will say the last thing, because I'm not a big fan of authors necessarily plugging their own books. There's a money-back guarantee in the book. And here's how it works. You buy the book, you read the book. If you don't think it was worth your time or effort or money, you send me an email. My email is in the book. It's real straightforward. It's Joey, J-O-E-Y-C, the letter C as in Coleman, C JoeyC at joeycoleman.com. There, I just gave the email away. And you send me an email and you say, Joey, it didn't work for me. And I say, great, what's your address? And I send you back the money that you spent for the book. It's that simple. Like it's my goal is to raise the bar on customer experience, client experience, donor experience, audience experience on the planet. And we can all do it if we work together, because here's the thing. Last piece on this. If you as nonprofits start to change the expectations that donors have for their interactions with other nonprofits, it will force all nonprofits to get better. It will also force all the companies that serve your donors to get better because they will begin to expect that level of service, that level of personal and emotional connection, that level of remarkability from everyone they work with, which by default means as you go about throughout your community and you start to patronize some of those same places they patronize, you will have a better customer experience. All the experience will rise together. We're all in this together. We just got to focus on those personal and emotional connections and we'll be able to make it happen. Well, thanks for being on the show, Joey. This has been such a great
0: conversation. I've loved it. I hope people are amped up listening to this and to go out and have that real relationship with donors so you can connect with them and they feel valued by you. So just thanks for being on the show, Joey. It's been great talking with you.
1: Thanks, Trevor. And thanks to everybody for listening. Go out there and create some remarkable experiences. It's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about
0: seven-figure fundraising and our training, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com. Finally, if there's one person you know would benefit from hearing this episode, please take a minute and share it with them. Thanks.